Welcome to Meals for Maturity, Bible talks to help you mature as a follower of Jesus, by Pastor Dom Fiocco. In many ways, across this series of short Bible talks, what I'm hoping to do is really the Christian life by numbers. That is, helping us see the relevance of this part of God's Word, the book of Numbers, what relevance it has for you and me as we journey on in the Christian life. Trying to work out how to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And then seeing what faith in Jesus looks like from all parts of our Bible, even a section that never mentions Jesus' name and is, of course, centuries before his incarnation. One of my goals in doing Meals for Maturity is really to better expose God's people to the Old Testament and show us how it's very much part of all Scripture that's God-breathed and profitable for you and me as followers of Jesus. And so we're going on a journey. Most of us like to travel. Maybe you've been through a desert on a horse with no name. Maybe you've walked a thousand miles and will walk a thousand more. Perhaps you've been on the road again and just can't wait to get on the road again. Or you've been running down the road trying to loosen your load and you have seven women on your mind. Well, hopefully not seven, unless, of course, you're your daughters or something. We not only like to travel, but we like songs about travel. Singing about travel is always much cheaper, I think, though probably not as exciting as packing your bags and journeying somewhere. Well, imagine you're an ancient Israelite. You find yourself in the book of Numbers, or a better title, The Wilderness Wanderings. And the time has finally arrived when you begin your travels, along with hundreds of thousands of fellow Israelites. The moment has arrived for you to walk off and to look for America. No, to walk off and look for the Promised Land, which isn't Queensland, even though it's dear to my heart as a Gold Coast boy. We're up to Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 to 23. But before Hannah reads this section of God's Word to us, let's get out our compass, our GPS, and work out where we are and where we're headed. Now, previously, I've given us the Lonely Planet Guide to the 36 chapters of this Old Testament book and reminded us to think about our travel plans under three geographical areas, Mount Sinai, Kadesh Barnea and the plains of Moab. Now what's remarkable about our journey so far with the previous four Bible talks I've given is that the first 10 chapters of Numbers covers around 19 days of Old Testament history, but then the next section, chapters 10 to 14, takes place over a period of 10 days, and then the next section, chapters 15 to 19, covers 37 years wandering about in the wilderness. And then finally, chapters 20 to 36 is about 10 months, eventually arriving on the plains of Moab, not via a plane, but on a foot. Uh, and you're poised, ready to enter the land of Canaan, the promised land. And by the time we get to Numbers 9, we've been given a pretty good picture of ancient Israel. As an Israelite man or woman, you come out looking okay. You've listened to God. You've trusted God's servant, Moses. You've been obedient to the law and the priest. You've even followed through on the census, this great counting of your tribe that God requires of you, especially the military men and the Levites across chapters 1 to 4. The ABS website didn't crash during this census. So all went well. And sadly, as we'll discover more as we journey on in this series, that things go pear-shaped now for you and your family on this wilderness journey. Apologies to pears who always seem to get a bad name, don't they? Things go wrong. Massive failures. Things are not according to plan. But more on that in the later weeks. By the time of chapter 9, it's been a whole year 
since the miraculous escape and exodus out of Egypt, your redemption by God himself. And now God calls you and your family to a remembrance feast of his grace and mercy toward you. So chapter 9, verses 1 to 14, that we're not going to read, details the Passover celebration and how you are to recall God's lavish grace upon you. This is now the second time in your Israelite history that you've celebrated the Passover feast. You did it first back in the book of Exodus coming out of Egypt. This second Passover National Remembrance Day is a chance for you and your household to meditate again uh, on God's patience and his faithfulness toward you. And then after this Passover is celebrated, you're to get set to enter the promised land that God will give to his people. Well, let's pick things up at chapter 9, verses 15 to 23. Numbers chapter 9, verses 15 to 23. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always, the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord, at the command of the Lord by Moses. This passage specifically tells us how God will guide Israel on their journey to fulfill yet another of the promises given to Abraham. So you stand at the base of Mount Sinai and you wait for God to guide you the next step. And guide he does in the most extraordinary way. I don't know if you've picked up, as Hannah read to us, the highly repetitive nature of verses 20, uh, 15 to 23. This repetition is meant to underscore something and highlight its importance. See, Bible writers will often do this, both in the Old and the New Testament. Repetition is a good tool that God's Word uses. Listen out for when it happens. Listen out for when it happens. Listen out for when it In, in this case, the instructions are repeated so that Israel hears it loud and clear. We don't really need such a long passage to communicate what's happening. But God wants to make sure his people get it. And then we also have this phrase that keeps popping up. So verse 18, at the Lord's command, they set out and at his command, they encamped. Verse 19, Israel kept the Lord's charge. Verse 20, according to the command of the Lord, then at his command. Verse 23, at the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord. 
by Moses. So it's not rocket science to work out what we are to realise, that Israel obeyed God's command. They did what God required of them. And as a result, they will be blessed. And here, this blessing comes in the form of direct and unique guidance as they set out for the promised land. So verses 15 to 16 spells out the origin of the cloud. We read, on that day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and it was evening, and at the evening it was over the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire until morning. So it always was, the cloud covered it by day, and the appearance of fire by night. The tabernacle, this tent of the testimony in verse 15, refers back, of course, to Exodus chapter 40. The tabernacle is a tent-like structure that's portable, and God uses this to show his presence with his people. It was, of course, the precursor to the Old Testament temple. This tabernacle, this tent, was the place that the Ten Commandments were housed. Special sacrifices were offered. Moses speaks directly with God in the tabernacle. The elaborate furnishings were there and the mercy seat, the Holy of Holies, was all part of the setup. The tabernacle was this sacred domain of the Levitical priesthood, revealing to you and me another aspect of the holiness of God and what's required to be his chosen people. And here in Numbers chapter 9, we're reminded of its significance with the appearance of a supernatural phenomena. A cloud covers the tabernacle in the day and at night it has the appearance of fire. It's not the only time God uses the natural elements of cloud and fire to display his presence and power. Throughout the book of Exodus, God has revealed his presence in this way. Even on Mount Sinai, remember, as Moses goes up to receive the law from God for his people, we're told that the mountain appeared to be on fire and covered in a thick cloud. Well, here in Numbers, as we set out to travel, the God of Mount Sinai is still present with his people. The God of Abraham, the God of Moses, is still very much with his people in covenantal relationship. And this cloud cover provides a visible presence for all of Israel to see, showing us that God is in our midst. He's dwelling among us and he will be our God, just as he's promised all along. As if that wasn't confirmation enough that God is fulfilling his promises given to Father Abraham back in Genesis 12, then from verses 17 to 23, you get your socks blown off, if you wore any, with your desert sandals. See, verses 17 to 23 details the cloud's movement and Israel's response. Now, I've heard of people following their counsellor or their psychiatrist or doctor or dietitian for advice. Some people follow so-called influencers, which is terribly sad, of course, in our day and age because it's mostly about influencing you to give them more money. Bizarrely, some people will follow their horoscopes, emphasis on the horror. Other people follow investment advisors. That can be a good thing sometimes. Still others will follow various superstitions. So you see this sometimes when it comes to professional sports which is really quite strange when you think about it because professional sports people devote so much of their brain and their mind and their energy to getting things right uh, so they go out and play right. How on earth would some superstition, or as I call it, stupidstition, have anything to do with you winning or losing? But you see, people follow all sorts of things and all sorts of people, don't they? Well, here's one that seems really strange when it comes to following. Imagine walking around following a cloud. 
I once worked with a pastor who was part of a cloud appreciation society. That is, they would take photos of various clouds and admire their beauty. But I don't think being part of this society meant you would walk around following after clouds. Maybe if you're one of those crazy storm chasers or hurricane chasers in the US, it might be a bit different. But here's ancient Israel. They're following a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And what did the Numbers 9 cloud look like? Was it a Simpson-like cloud? Was it a Canberra-like cloud that often has no water in it? Was it a Melbourne-like cloud? Snow, hail, rain, sunshine, all in 30 minutes. Was it cloud nine? Was it a different coloured cloud? We don't know all the details, but we do know enough to realise that God is showing us here that he is in control. And he's using this cloud by day, fire by night, to guide his people toward the promised land. Verses 19 and verse 23 also indicate that God is acting like a general in charge of his army. Yahweh will keep watch, he will keep guard over his people. He provides this protective cordon, if you like, around Israel. And later in Numbers 14, we learn that even the other nations know about this cloud and protection by Israel's God. It would have been a remarkable sight to behold. When the cloud moved, so too did Israel under God, uh, under Moses. When the clouds stood still, Israel did likewise. They were to obey God's movements. Day or night, they followed this cloud. And for once, their obedience stood out. So God promises to guide them step by step, day by day, month by month, year by year, and lead them through their wilderness wanderings. God will be with them as their God, their general, their king, their guide and protector. God has promised all this to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and now to Moses, and God will surely deliver on his promises. I've said previously, we need to look out or listen out for the five Ps turning up across our series on Numbers. Five main themes or doctrines you'll find in this fourth Bible book. So the presence of God, the providence of God, the patience of God, the promises of God, and the people of God. Well, here in Numbers 9, we clearly see the presence of God in, act, in action. He will be their shepherd. He will be their true guide. His abiding presence on this travel journey is there in this supernatural cloud. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever done a Bible study on the biblical theology of clouds, that is, tracing the movement of clouds from the Old Testament into the New Testament. We don't have time to do a detailed study, but here's a, a brief snapshot, a barometric chart, if you like, of some cloud cover we find across the New Testament. So you remember Matthew 17, don't you? Uh, the transfiguration of Jesus, and that happens in a cloud on a mountain as God's glory is revealed to his three disciples. Acts chapter 1, the ascension of Jesus, remember. A cloud hides his entry back into heaven. Across the Gospels and the New Testament letters, we're told that the return of Jesus will feature clouds, just like at his ascension. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, for example, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, 
Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. 1 Thessalonians 4, we will meet Jesus in the clouds. Again, a reference to his return. Revelation 14, we read of Jesus being seated on a white cloud, reaping a harvest from the earth. So it's a picture here, a symbolic picture of judgment day. Just as God shows his presence in the Old Testament via clouds, so too does he and will he show his presence with the Lord Jesus in clouds. His glory was on display in the Old Testament and his glory is once more revealed in the New Testament, this time surrounding his sun and clouds. Perhaps if you do admire and appreciate the clouds that God puts into his sky, you might just remember their importance across Bible history, showing us God's presence and his glory ultimately to be fully revealed one day at the second coming of Jesus. The other application point from this Bible talk is that it's worth remembering this cloud that appears in the wilderness wanderings not only signifies God's presence with his people, but also his guidance. So the Christian life by numbers means we understand this passage in light of the rest of the Bible and we think about how God guides his people today. Now, of course, this theme or this topic of guidance could be a whole Bible talk series, but I don't want to focus on the specifics of God's guidance over you and me today as followers of the Lord Jesus. I simply want to remind us of what you probably already know. That is, that God doesn't need to give you a cloud today or strike you with lightning to reveal his will and his purpose for your life. In fact, the New Testament never points us to trust in clouds any more than you should trust in reading tea leaves or Milo grains if you don't drink tea. According to the rest of the Bible, the way God guides his people today is rather quite straightforward. You don't look up, rather you look down, down to the pages of your Bible to see God's guidance. So two well-known passages to show you what I mean, one in the Old Testament, the other in the new. Psalm 119 verse 105, made famous by Amy Grant, if you're old enough to know who she is, though I think it was in the Bible first. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And then 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 19, 2 Peter chapter 1 is really a whole chapter about the Bible. We read this verse, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. If you want to know God's guidance for your life right now, then, friends, open his word and keep reading it in context and in light of the gospel and the Holy Spirit placed in your heart. So God's guiding cloud now takes the form of his precious word to you and me. To make sure you pack that word as you travel along and maybe take an umbrella just in case the cloud happens to pour down upon you. Until next time, keep walking with God. Thanks for listening to Meals for Maturity. Keep growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ.